Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be together. Isn't it wonderful to worship our Lord? Amen. Amen. You know, we're live across all of our campuses today, so I want to welcome everyone in New Milford, in Waterbury, in Derby, and online. You know, if you're new or visiting, my name is Adam DePasquale. I serve as one of our lead pastors, and uh, we're so glad that you're here today. You know, as we step into July, we're officially in summer season, and so uh, this week is July 4th. And as your pastor, I just want to encourage you to take a few moments this week to remind yourself of the incredible blessings and freedom that we experience every day in this country. And, uh, you know, particularly as your pastor, I just reflect on the incredible freedom of worship that enables us to gather each week in peace. You know, may we never, ever take that for granted. Amen? Amen. You know, today we begin a 10-week summer series called By Faith. This is a series that Pastor Craig and I have had on our hearts for months and months and months, and I am so excited that the day is finally here. So my job today is really to help excite you for this new series and to set the context for it. And uh, during our journey, I want to share with you some tools that if you employ during the series, I believe you will grow in faith in amazing ways. You know, I want to take you back to the year 2002. My wife Carrie and I had just returned from Nashville back to Connecticut where we had grown up. We were 26, 27 years old. And uh, one of Carrie's dreams was to travel internationally. We had never been out of the country before. And so in this transition, we thought this would be the right time to do it. So we saved our money and we planned a 29-day trip around the world. We were going to be staying in hostels and cheap hotels, going to Italy and then Greece and then Turkey. And then we were going to fly in plane, go to Singapore to meet up with our former youth pastor, Suhi Tan, and go to Malaysia and Indonesia. Now, you may already be thinking, this sounds like a little bit of an aggressive trip for your first time out of the country. I think you'd be right. You know, because there was another dimension to it, too, and that was my health. You see, growing up at a young age, I discovered that I was allergic to bees. And after a few unnerving trips to the hospital, I made sure that I would carry my EpiPen if I went hiking or something like that. Also, as a kid, I had childhood asthma. And so there were moments that, that impacted me. And so health was very much something on my mind. Um, I knew that my health was a vulnerability in my life. And you know, at that point in my life, I had never gone anywhere where there had been questionable access to speedy health care. And strangely enough, on our second day back in Connecticut from Nashville, I was stung by a bee, having not been stung in years. And I had an allergic reaction. And out of precaution, I went to the hospital. So as silly as this may sound to you, Going on a trip around the world was a huge step of faith for me. Could I trust the Lord with my health? We knew that the Lord had told us to go. We felt it in our spirits. But could I trust the Lord? So in September 2002, we went. We got to Rome. Had an amazing time visiting the Colosseum, these ruins where the Apostle Paul would have been held under house arrest. We went to the Vatican. Took a train down to Bury, where we crossed on ferry. Went to uh, Greece. Ended up in Athens. We stood at the Parthenon. We went to the Areopagus, which is where Paul would have preached the message to the unknown God. We took a train and went to Corinth for about three hours. We stood at the ruins where Carrie and I read together First and Second Corinthians and just imagined the Apostle Paul building tents and preaching the gospel. Well, as we were there in those ruins, I looked up at them in the distance and I saw this incredible mountaintop. And on top of the mountains were these amazing structures. And I heard people talking about ancient Corinth. I said to Carrie, I know it's not on our agenda, but we have to go. 
And so she's like, all right, let's go. So we found out that you could take a taxi. It was about a 20-minute drive up to the parking lot. We got to this parking lot. We come out, and the wonder is above us, the pathway to these amazing structures. And so I said to Carrie, let's go. She said, you know, I'm pretty exhausted. It's been a long day. Why don't you go? I was like, okay. So I start my journey. I start walking, and pretty soon I start jogging, and then I turn into a full run. I feel like the spirit of childhood, the freedom of childhood has come upon me. Indiana Jones was with me. And uh, you caught that, and that's good. And so I just kept running. As I ran, I saw these amazing, you know, structures. I jumped from rock to rock, jumped over cliffs. It was amazing, right? Get to the top, and I tell you, it's just an amazing view, but I am exhausted. I'm like out of breath. Like, wow, that was a long way. Anyway, I make my way down. We take our taxi to the train station, get on the wrong train. That's a, a different story for another day. Eventually get back to Athens. And as we're getting back, I'm like saying to Carrie, I feel really tired. I don't feel so good. I've got like congestion building in me. Maybe I'm not breathing quite right. I'm like, this is, this is not good. We get back to the hotel and the next day we're scheduled to get on a ferry to go from Greece to Turkey. And if you know anything about those two countries, it's not that easy to get from one to the other. And uh, so we get on our ferry. And probably my mistake, instead of getting a lovely cabin where we could sleep for 15 hours overnight, we end up in these hard plastic chairs on the deck with no sleep at all. And in that context, I began to get a little bit more sick. I'm feeling a little feverish at this point. I'm like, no problem, we're gonna press through. We arrive in Turkey. Probably my mistake again, instead of the hotel being in front of the ferry, it's actually about 30 minutes away in the countryside. No problem, we get there. We're getting ready for our next day to go to Ephesus. How could you miss going to Ephesus? I'm feeling sick, not doing so well, but I'm like, we're gonna press through. So we go to Ephesus and we see the amazing library and the theater where the riot would have occurred from the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel, amazing day. We get back to the hotel, I climb into bed and I am shivering. My fever is now growing. Congestion is growing, I'm feeling weak. And all of a sudden I'm having flashbacks to my childhood and I'm becoming very, very scared. I'm thinking about those days that I had trouble breathing. I'm thinking about, what am I doing here? What did I, what did I mess up? And then disappointment starts to seep in. We had saved for so long for this trip. Had I really messed up our 29-day trip around the world? And in that context, Carrie says, let me go down to the hotel and ask if there's any way they can help us. So she goes down to the hotel clerk, and this is 2002. This is a year after 9-11. There are like no Americans in this part of Turkey and very few people who speak English. And so Carrie goes and asks for help, and the hotel clerk motions that they don't speak English. They speak Turkish, of course. They go and find someone else. That person comes. They don't speak English. They go and find someone else. The person comes and can communicate with Carrie and basically says, it would be very expensive to get a doctor here right now. Your best bet is to travel about a kilometer down the road with your husband, and if you go to the village, um, there'll be a storefront with a red cross. You should do that. So Carrie comes up to the hotel room. I'm shivering in bed, and she tells me the news. I'm like, let's do it. So we head out on our journey, another adventure. We walk not one kilometer, it's several miles. We finally arrive at this village, and we find the storefront with a red cross. We walk into the room, and I'll never forget it, a small room, and there's a TV, and on the TV, the Terminator is playing, overdubbed in Turkish. <laughs> it was a memory I'll never forget. And out comes a man wearing a, a white cloak and a white coat. I'm like, that must be the doctor. So I start to explain to him all my problems, and I look, and he has a blank stare in his face. He doesn't speak English, he speaks Turkish. And so I start doing like Pictionary and charades and trying to describe all these things that are going on, and he motions for me to sit down in a chair. And he begins to take my vital signs. And then he pauses. 
and he leaves the room. A couple minutes later, he comes back, and I kid you not, he has an IV with a needle, and he motions that he wants to stick me with the needle. Now, I have to be honest with you, at that moment, I was like, let's run and get out of here. I don't know where we are, this small village, this doctor I've never met. But Carrie and I did what every believer should do in that moment. We paused and we shot up an arrow prayer or a Nehemiah prayer. That's when you pray very quickly because you don't have a lot of time. And I'm sure my prayer was something like, oh, God, help. (laughs) I am so scared. I need you in this moment. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, peace that just came upon me. And I said, go for it. And so he stuck me with this needle as I watched the first drop of whatever come into my arm. (laughs) And then I loved it. The, The doctor sat down with us and together we watched the Terminator. Key word is watched, right? Didn't understand the thing. Five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by, I see it dripping my arm. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 40 minutes goes by. And all of a sudden I realize that my fever is gone. I realize that my strength has returned. I realize that my congestion has gone away. And in that moment I realize the God of the universe has saved me. Amazing, amazing moment. You know, we, uh, in that moment, the, the, the uh, doctor motioned that it was time to pay. And so I took out my credit card and uh, he said, no, cash. And so I gave him all we had, which is $20, and he took it with a smile on his face. Then he motioned for us to stay and he walked across the street to a restaurant and he brought back Turkish tea. And together, the three of us sat in silence drinking Turkish tea. Then he motioned for us to follow him. We went outside and he motioned to get in his car. Now listen, I don't know this doctor, but I'm beginning to trust him. And so we get in the car, and he proceeds to drive us all the way back to our hotel. And then he gives us medicine. The next day I woke up, and I felt wonderful. We continued on our journey, and we had an incredible trip. You know, as I look back all these years now, I realize that not all my prayers have been answered like that. Not all the challenges I've had in life have been taken care of that simply. But in that moment in Turkey, The God of the universe saw me. The God of the universe heard my prayer. He saw my fear, and he met me in an incredible way. You know, while that story may sound insignificant to you, when I look back now, I realize that that trip was part of what God used to call Carrie and I into full-time ministry. That trip was part of what God used to prepare Carrie to being asked to join our Church in Action team, where she has served for almost 20 years. She's one of our longest-standing Church in Action team members. You know, that trip gave me faith to where Harry and I have now traveled to 15 different nations. And even last year, it gave me faith to say yes, to travel to Bangladesh to represent us all, where I preached a sermon at the Christian Service Society's 50th anniversary. I'm so grateful for the Lord and the way he gave me that faith. And I'm so grateful all these years later for the kindness of a Turkish doctor and the hospitality he showed me. You know, there are two beautiful and powerful and life-changing words found in Scripture. At first glance, you could read the words and easily just go right by them and miss their significance. But these two words make all the difference in life. In fact, regardless of what's happening around you in your life or what you're going through, no matter how exciting, how intimidating, how challenging, or how uncertain your future No no matter how big the assignment is before you, no matter how large the mountain is that you're being called to climb, these these two words change everything. By faith. You know, the Christian life is one of faith. Faith is not only the starting point to a relationship with God, but it's what enables us to trust the Lord and walk with courage 
and perseverance. It's what enables us to say yes to the Lord when he calls, to get back on our feet when we lose heart or we fall down, to have the courage and step out into the unknown, to step out when all the odds seem to be against us, to step out when we've run out of strength, to step out when what's being asked of us is far beyond our abilities, our experience, our gift sets, or even our knowledge. To step out and see the Lord accomplish all he wants to in and through our lives. It happens by faith. You know, for honest though, sometimes it seems like life beats us down, doesn't it? Sometimes we struggle to hang on. Things don't go the way we want, or the way we planned, or even the way we prayed. It can be difficult to maintain hope, right? And sometimes disappointment just overwhelms us and we just can't get out of it. You know, every day we receive prayer requests from you. And over these past months, as I've prayed for you, I've kept track of all the things that we're going through as a community. I've read about your excitement and your anxiety related to a new job or a promotion. I've read about your ability to finally retire and your plans to move. I've read about your desire to share your faith and get more involved in your community if only you had the time. I've read about your excitement and trepidation about going off to college. I've learned about serious and life-threatening health situations, loss of work, not having a place to live, financial stress, grief from the loss of a loved one and friend. I've read about broken relationships and divorce, your heart's desire to see your children come to know the Lord or come back to the Lord. I've read about the sense of feeling of loss and hopelessness that you have, your burdens for our world, your desire to know just what God wants you to do in life. I've read about your prayers and hopes and concerns for Walnut Hill as well. There's a lot going on in our hearts and minds, right? You know, all these situations, very real, no matter how big or how small they may seem, did you know that they absolutely matter to God? And each one requires faith. And each of those situations tests our faith. Can I really trust you, Lord, in this moment? But what if I told you that your faith could be renewed? What if I told you that your faith can be restored, that your faith can be strengthened, that your faith can be exponentially increased? Would you be interested? You know, over the next 10 weeks, we're gonna camp out in the New Testament book of Hebrews. We're gonna focus on chapter 11, and we're gonna learn incredible lessons of faith and read about men and women of old who have gone before us and how they've trusted the Lord. You know, we're gonna learn how faith in God is received, how it's cultivated, how you can apply it to your life circumstances. We're gonna learn how challenges can strengthen us and that setbacks and failures are not the end to our stories. We're gonna be reminded that God is with us through every season and chapter of life and that he is faithful. And each week we're gonna hear lengthy passages of scripture as we listen to these stories of old. And we're gonna hear personal faith stories from each of our pastors and preachers. Now to help us launch our series well, I've asked a good friend of mine, A.J. Picard, a former pastor and elder, if he would come and read to us the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 through 12 verse three. This is gonna take about six and a half minutes. Now as he does that, I wanna remind you of something. Throughout the course of history for thousands of years, the primary way that the word of God was communicated to the masses was orally. It was done in synagogues, in churches, around fireplaces. So I wanna encourage you to just sit back and allow the Holy Spirit to be our teacher as we hear now from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. 
This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months as he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated 
along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for, from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, AJ. What a powerful passage of scripture. Isn't it? Amen. 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 The passage is completely relevant to you and me. You know, in this season of Walnut Hill, Craig and I believe that the Lord is wanting to ask each one of us a question. Here's the question. Do you want to grow in faith? Do you want to grow in faith? It's a question that I can't answer for you. Only you can answer that question in the presence of the living God. But here's the thing. I believe that your answer to that question will largely impact how much you grow over the next 10 weeks. And that's because in scripture we see clearly that it says the Lord blesses those who hunger and thirst after him. Do you hunger after the Lord? So as we get to the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you that question again, and I want you to be, pre be prepared to answer. Do I want to grow in faith? Before we go any further in the sermon, let's just pray together. 
Father, you know each of our hearts. You know the challenges in our lives and the opportunities before us. You know the very real disappointments and the dreams that we have. Lord, I pray now that you would insert into each of our hearts just a wonderful sense of expectation for all that you want to do. Lord, and I pray that through these 10 weeks, you'll do wonders in our lives. Lord, for those who feel like they have no strength today, would you meet them in a powerful way? And those who feel strong, Lord, would you strengthen even them even more that they would be able to help others? Lord, this is your church. Our lives belong to you. And so we pray that you would strengthen us for your glory. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to dive in? All right. You know, whenever you study scripture, it's vitally important to understand the context in which it was written. And in this case, the book of Hebrews was likely written in the late 50s or early 60s AD, and it's a letter. And that means that God inspired an individual to write to a specific audience. So as we look at Hebrews 11, a good question to ask first is, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And it's interesting because the author just didn't come right out and write to the church in Corinth from the Apostle Paul. No, they didn't write that at all. So over the years, Scholars have wondered, did the Apostle Paul possibly write Hebrews? But the thing is that it stylistically doesn't match him at all. And he didn't even mention his name, which is completely uncharacteristic. And so most people would say, no, he didn't write it. They consider whether maybe it was Barnabas, Apollos, or Luke. It's interesting, in chapter 13, the author writes these words. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. And so here we see that the author was a friend or an acquaintance or perhaps like a ministry partner of Timothy. But we don't know much else. And so we turn to the text, and when you read the text, you learn about the author. And this is what we learn. The author was an expert in the Old Testament and was highly educated. It's so clear. The author had an intimate relationship with Jesus. It just exudes off the pages. The author is a dynamic communicator. I mean, what you just heard reads like a powerful sermon more than like an academic work, right? And the author cares so deeply about who they are writing to. And so while we don't know, we'll have to kind of rely on what the third century scholar Origen said when he wrote, but who wrote the epistle? In truth, only God knows. The second question we should ask is, who is the letter written to? Wouldn't that be helpful to know? And again, scholars don't explicitly know but many believe it might have been written to the church in Rome. And here's why. This is because persecution is mentioned in the book, and also a number of the issues that are discussed seem to align with what the church in Rome was probably going through at that time. In chapter 13, verse 24, we also read this. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. You know, it's almost as if the writer was writing from some city, and as they're writing, all these believers came around. They said, who are you writing to? And the writer said, I'm writing to the church in Rome. And they said, I'm from Italy. Give a shout out in the letter from us. Maybe that's what happened, right? But other scholars think, no, maybe it was a letter written to Jerusalem or Colossae. The point is that we don't know for sure. But when you read the book of Hebrews, you learn something about the audience. And this is what we learn. It's written to a community of believers that are incredibly familiar with the Old Testament and with Jewish thought. These are likely Jews and Greeks who have been part of synagogue culture for years and years and years. We also see that these are people who are incredibly discouraged and they're struggling with spiritual passion. 
I love what this writer Thomas Long wrote. He said, they are tired. They're tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired about being peculiar and whispered about in society. They're tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of trying to keep their prayer life going. Their hands droop and their knees are weak. Attendance is down at church and they're losing confidence. The threat of this congregation is not that they're charging off anywhere. The threat here is that they're worn down and worn out, that they will drop their end of the rope and drift away. You know, having gone through a few difficult years in our world, doesn't it sound like this could be written to us? You know, the book of Hebrews seeks to remind the church of who Jesus is, the significance of what he's accomplished, our future hope in him, and that it's vital to persevere and live bold, passionate, and holy lives. You know, I want to encourage you this week to go and read the book of Hebrews. It'll take you about 45 minutes. But I tell you, you will receive so much joy and so much wonder. You know, with our remaining time, I want to help prepare us for the journey by doing two things. Number one, I want to provide for you a definition of faith. And number two, I want to give to you some tools that I think will be helpful for you on the journey. So what is faith? Oxford Dictionary says it's complete trust and confidence in someone or something. I want you to consider this. As human beings, we're born with the capacity to have faith. In fact, life demands that we utilize faith. Let me give you an example. I'm currently teaching my middle son, Brennan, how to drive. And I want to tell you, on the first day that we started out, I had zero faith in his ability to drive. I had never seen it. And so we do what I do is we start with parking lot time. We come here to the Walnut Hill parking lot after hours, and I teach him about the seatbelt, about the lights, about the brake, about the accelerator. And we start to go five miles an hour, and then 10 miles an hour. And I become comfortable that when I say stop, he'll stop. Then we move on to what I call neighborhood time. This is about a three-mile loop around our house. There, we're going 25 miles an hour, and I'm watching him interact with other cars. He's learning to use his blinkers. Then we graduate to city time. We're now we're going 35 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour, and the, the situations are much more complex. And then we go to highway time. Listen, I want to tell you that Brennan is doing great. He's a very, very good driver. But this is how natural faith works. As I develop trust and confidence in his driving, my faith increases. But there's also spiritual faith. How does that work? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What does that mean? Let's start with the word hope. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. That sounds good, doesn't it? But before you read the word hope and think it refers to every dream, every desire, everything you want to do, I want to remind you that there's been 10 previous chapters in Hebrews, and during those chapters, it's clearly outlining that our hope and assurance is to be upon the Lord. And as you read, you learn that it's the Lord who laid the foundations of the world. It's the Lord who ushered in the new covenant where Jesus is Savior and high priest who brings forgiveness to our sins. He sets us free. He breaks the bondage of sin, and he's going to come again. We learn through the chapters that we have assurance that we're part of a broader community of Christ followers, that we can approach the Lord with confidence and find mercy and grace. And we learn that because of this, we can let go of guilt and shame and live with hope and peace, and joy, and confidence as we seek to do the Lord's will each and every day of our life. This is where the writer of Hebrew calls us to place our hope, in Jesus, in the Lord. You see, faith is not the belief that everything will turn out just like I want. Faith is confidence and hope in the Lord. 
You know, as I've studied, I believe a solid definition of spiritual faith would be this. A deep conviction and sincere belief in God, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, and what he will do that leads to trust and action. Now listen, you could shorten it and say, oh, a deep conviction and sincere belief in God that leads to trust and action. But the middle piece is actually essential to understanding spiritual faith. We can have faith and trust in God because of who he is. Do you know his character? We can have faith and trust in God because what he's done. Do you know his track record? We can have faith because God keeps his word. Do you know his promises? We can have faith because God has a plan for eternity and for your life. Do you know what that plan is? You see, the Bible tells us that faith is a gift, yes, for salvation, and in these moments when you're in Turkey and you desperately need it. But faith is also like a garden. It has to be attended to. Do you know, at any moment in life, aspects and circumstances of life are either building our faith, challenging our faith, depleting our faith, or destroying our faith. And through this series, as we study these characters in Scripture, we're going to see all those kinds of situations, and we're going to learn how we can be those who build their faith. That's what we want, right? You know, with the nice weather upon us, I keep seeing more and more of these special programs. Maybe you've seen them. Lose 25 pounds in two months. Get in shape. Have you seen these? I don't know if you read recently, Billy Joel apparently lost 50 pounds in like two months. Like, I want that secret program. What I love about those programs, though, is when you sign up for them, there comes a moment when the instructor comes up to you quietly and says, are you ready for the secrets of getting in shape? You're like, of course, that's why I signed up. Number one, write this down. Eat less. Oh, my goodness. Eat less. I'm writing it down. Number two, drink more water. Ah, I had no idea writing that down. Number three, become more active. Get your heart rate up several times a week. I never heard this before. This is incredible stuff. Number four, eat better foods. Put your Twinkie down. Ah, I got to give up the Twinkie. <laughs> Number five, get good sleep. All right, okay. Number six, are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Do all these things continually over and over for the next 10 weeks and you will become in shape. No, it can't be that simple. It has to be more complicated. You know, sometimes the most powerful things in life are that simple. And church, faith is a little bit like that. Over these 10 weeks, we're going to call you to some very simple biblical tools that if you were to employ in your life, I tell you, you will grow in your faith. On the way out today, you're going to receive a card with all of these on it, but I just want to walk through them very quickly with you. The first one is pray. Ask God for more faith. You know, I love in the Gospels, there's a story where a father brings a boy who's got, he's demon-possessed to the disciples and to Jesus, and he wants the demon cast out. And there's this moment where the father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. You know, it's one of the most biblical and godly prayers you can pray. I do believe, but I wrestle, Lord. Lord, would you build my faith in these 10 weeks? I want to call you to pray. Number two, reflect. Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. As you read scripture over these 10 weeks, as you come to church each week and hear these stories, we want you to reflect on two things. Number one, what are you learning about the character of God as we read and hear these stories? Do you know scripture tells us that he's the, the God is the God who hears. He's the God who comforts. He's the God who saves, and there's so much more. 
Today on our website, walnuthillscc.org backslash resources, we're putting up a list of all the names of God and what they mean. If you want to grow in faith, begin to get to know the character of God. Also, as you listen to these stories week after week, as you read your Bible, be looking for what are you learning about the promises of God? Scripture tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you strength. The list goes on and on. Why does this matter? Because our faith will increase as we get to know the character and the promises of God. Pray. Reflect. The next one is act. Our faith grows as we hear God and respond obediently to him. As we experience his faithfulness firsthand. There's a great story in the book of Acts where Philip is just going about his day, minding his own business. And it says, an angel of the Lord comes and says, Philip, go down the desert road. And the next verse says, and Philip did. He doesn't know where he's going. But as he does, he meets an Ethiopian. The Ethiopian asks him questions about scripture. He gives his life to the Lord. He's baptized. He goes on his way. And scholars believe today that perhaps the country of Ethiopia has been reached because of the obedience and faith of one man. We want to call you to pray. We want to call you to reflect. We want to call you to act over these 10 weeks. And the last one, your story. Your faith will grow as you remind yourself of all of the ways and times that God has been faithful in your life and you tell other people. You know, years ago, Carrie and I started what we call a monument book. It's a book where we type up all the stories in our life of the way that God has been faithful. We, like, collect them. Times where the Lord has shown his provision, his promises, his direction, and we share these with our kids. Why do we do that? If I don't do that, when life comes at me in circumstances, I'm going to start over at zero with my faith. God, can you help me? But by reminding ourselves, my faith starts from here, the last time that the Lord met me. We want to encourage you to begin to remember your stories and to share your stories. You know, what's fun is if you put all these words together, it spells pray. Pray, reflect, act, your story. I couldn't have think of, thought of that my own. Actually, my father helped me with that, that acrylic, whatever it's called. You know, listen, these tools may sound too simple, but they're 100% reliable because they're 100% biblical. And so they come with a 100% guarantee. I want to I encourage you to step out and try them. Church, this is going to be an exciting 10 weeks together. I hope that you come to church with great expectation for what God wants to do in your life. You know, these heroes of the Bible are not heroes because of their own strength. We tell their story because these are normal people like you and me who trusted in a powerful God. And so whatever you are going through right now, whatever is happening in the lives of those you love, whatever dream, whatever assignment, whatever mountain God wants you to climb, and believe me, there are many, we believe in this season that God wants to give us fresh strength so that we can step out and see the Lord do wonders. So I want to return to the question I told you I was going to ask you. Just between you and the living God, answer this question. Do you want to grow in faith? Listen, church, I believe if you said yes to that, that today the Lord is just bestowing to you a special grace that over these 10 weeks, you're going to find yourself strengthened because he has great things. Amen.